Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we begin our time of study in his word. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning thanking you for the blessings of this worship service, for the ways that you work through baptism and song and prayer and scripture reading and uh, from the proclamation of your word and through uh, the taking of communion. Lord, all of these things are for our good. They're given to us by a good God who knows what we need, who knows the ways that we need uh, beauty and song and Uh, the reminder of Scripture and all of those different things to build us up and to edify us. Lord, I pray now that as we open your word to understand uh, who we should be and who you are, Lord, that you would call us to faithful witness, that you would call us to faithful walk in you. And Lord, that we would not just make a momentary commitment to you, but that we would resolve ourselves to live faithfully for a lifetime in our walk with Jesus Christ. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. We're going to look at verses 36 through 38 as we uh, end our study in the women of Christmas. We've been, over the course of December, looking at uh, different women that either foreshadow or fulfill the promise of God in the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And so we look first at Sarah and the fact that she was barren and she was old and she was unable to do anything to fulfill the promise of God that he had made to Abraham, that he would bless him and make him into a great nation and that through him all nations of the world would be blessed. But even though she was unable, even though she was uh, infertile and all of the the expectations that society placed on her she could not fulfill yet God did the impossible through her and that he caused the son of promise Isaac to be born of a woman who was barren and old and then we saw uh, through Rachel uh, the the granddaughter in law of uh, of Sarah we saw that she was uh, thought that she could Uh, Through conniving and through the plans and plots of her own means, she could somehow arrange for the blessings of God. And she tried everything under the sun. She tried medicine. She tried uh, plans and conniving to bring about God's purpose, but was unable to fulfill the promise of God and the purpose of God until she gave up and trusted and prayed uh, that the Lord would bless her. And in that, God gave her a son, Joseph, who would be... The, the Savior of Israel, who would bring about uh, the, the salvation of Israel in his rise in the nation of Egypt. And then uh, we saw Elizabeth in the New Testament. Elizabeth was again old and barren and unable to have children. And God blessed her with a son, John the Baptist, who would be the forerunner of Jesus and would announce his coming. And then last week we saw Mary. Uh, the, the woman who was betrothed to a man and yet a virgin and unable to, because of her circumstances and where she was in the world, unable to uh, earn anything by worldly standards, and yet God blessed her and highly favored her, honored her, and gave her the Son of God. And through Mary, uh, we have an answer to the the curse of sin and that God God's blessings have flowed as we sing in joy to the world. God's blessings flow as far as the curse is found. And that began through Mary, the mother of the Son of God. 
So this morning, we're going to look at the last woman of Christmas uh, uh, in just a few verses. We know very little about her other than what we know in these few verses. We're going to look at the character or the person of Anna from Luke chapter 2, verses uh, verses 36 through 38. And so let's read that, and then I'll pray, and we'll get into the sermon. Luke chapter 2, verse 36, God's Word says, And there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was advanced in, age, uh, advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin, and then as a widow until she was 84. She did not depart from the temple, worshiping and fasting, and prayer night and day. And coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him uh, to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this Word, and we pray that You would bless it now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. So, you know, it's that time of year again. It's time for the endless commercials about fitness machines and diet plans and gym memberships. And if you haven't already, it's time to join with everybody else in the world in making, going through that yearly ritual of New Year's resolutions. Every year, we all collectively as a society decide that we ate way too much for Thanksgiving and Christmas and it's starting to show and we need to get a handle on it and do something about it. And so we make resolutions about uh, cutting back on what we eat or going to the gym more. And, or we maybe it's something more about our social life and our family life. And we decide, hey, we've been way too undisciplined and we haven't been devoted to church or to family. We haven't done our Bible reading like we should or we haven't spent time with the kids like we should. But more times than not, whether it's a new diet or commitment to faithful church attendance, at some point during the year, our resolve wanes. If you're anything like me, that resolve wanes about February. (laughs) We give up and we start wearing jogging pants again, right? Or stretchy pants again. Um, And don't get me wrong, resolutions are great, and I do them every year whether I keep them or not. But the ritual of resolutions betrays something about Americans and the way that we think about our lives. You see, I think as Americans, we think that our lives really doesn't, they need betterment. You know, if we just improved a little bit in our, uh, our diet, if we just improved a little bit in our health, if we just improved a little bit in our family situation or our devotion to the Lord, then we'd have the perfect life. If we just got our finances in order or we just gave up a certain thing or another, then we would have a perfect life. And so we view our resolutions as just improving a little bit on our lives to give us the life that we've always wanted. But what we need is not betterment of our lives. What we need is a totally different, not, a different life. We don't need improvement. We need redemption. So true resolution isn't just an aim towards betterment or self-improvement, but a deep, life-altering longing for radical change. 
It's just such resolution that we find in this last woman of Christmas. So this morning, we're going to consider the story of Anna from the passage we just read in Luke chapter 2, verses 36 and 38. And I want you to consider two points from this passage this morning. First, I want you to consider the habits of the resolved. And second, the hope of the resolved. So first, let's consider the habits of of the resolve from verses 36 through 37. Now, Anna's story is set within this episode of Jesus's dedication at the temple. So after the eighth day, uh, it was required by Jewish law that the, a male child was to be circumcised. And not only that, but every firstborn child was to be brought to the temple and a sacrifice was to be offered for that child for the sake of its life as a dedication to the Lord. And so Mary and Joseph, being faithful Israelites, they brought Jesus to the temple on the eighth day to be circumcised and to be dedicated to the Lord. And while they're there, a group of Israelites begins to gather around this baby and her mother uh, and his mother starting with an old prophet named Simeon. And it appears from the fullness of of the text that there was this group of devout believers who were waiting at the temple daily for the coming of the Messiah. And Simeon, for one, had been promised by God that he would not see death until he had seen the Messiah. So when Jesus is brought into the temple The Spirit leads Simeon to meet him, and he begins to prophesy, and he says much of what will happen in Jesus' life and what Jesus will accomplish and the fact that he will die and he will bring people together and he will bring about this new revolution that he has come to bring, this new kingdom that he has come to bring. Now, apparently, Anna is in that same group. And we're told a number of things about Anna that point to her commitment in waiting for the Messiah. First, it says that she was a prophetess. Now, there's a great deal of debate over what it means when it says that Anna was a prophetess. Some people suggest that it could have just been that she carried the title of her husband. That was a common thing. If your husband was a prophet, then you would be called a prophetess, whether you had the gift of prophecy or not. Others believe that she, uh, she was a prophet herself, and it was very rare for a woman to be a prophet, but it was not unheard of. And so I lean towards the idea that she is a prophet herself. Now, although prophecy had largely ceased after the destruction of the temple by Babylon and the captivity of Judah in Babylon, God didn't leave his people without guidance. So Simeon and Anna are examples of faithful preachers, faithful prophets who spent every day in the temple reminding people of the promise of the coming Messiah. Second, it says that Anna is advanced in age. Now, again, there's some debate, and I don't want to confuse you with a bunch of math this morning. I know it's the first day of the year, and you don't want to start with with complex math, but if you, uh, it says that she was advanced in age, and in my translation says that she was 84 years old. Now, but it also mentions 
that she was married to her husband for seven years, and then her husband died, and your translation may say, and then a widow for 84 years. Now the question is, does the text mean that she was widowed probably around the time of 20 because the earliest she could have been married was 12? 7 plus 12 is about 19. So around the age of 20, 19 or 20, she would have been widowed. And then she remained a widow for another 84 years, which at this point would have made her what? Uh, pop quiz. 104 years old. I already did the math, so it's right here. Um, or does, does it mean that she is 84 years old, as my translation says? In either case... The basic math works out to the fact that she's no spring chicken, right? And, and this note about her age ties directly into the theme of the women of Christmas that we've been considering. Age has been a factor in three of the women that we've already looked at. For Sarah, she was barren and she was old. For Elizabeth, she was barren and she was old. For Mary, she was too young and a virgin. So whether you're too old or you're too young, age can be a limiting factor. It limits our ability to participate fully in society. It uh, restricts our movements and takes away from simple pleasures. And as Americans, we certainly view age as a negative thing. All you got to do is look on Instagram and, and, and Twitter and Facebook and all of that, and you can see the commercials and the streams and all that that promotes agelessness and avoiding uh, getting old. We view it as a negative thing. We value the young and the vibrant, and we try to hide or delay the old and the feeble. But age isn't always a bad thing. In fact, in Scripture, age is promoted as a sign of wisdom and honor, and most importantly, of commitment. It is with just such respect that we should view Anna's age. Anna had been committed to her calling for 84 years. Her husband had died when she was young and she had never remarried. And it's likely the case that the temple had taken her in as sort of a music director during worship. It was a, a common practice by the temple leadership that they would take in widows and give them the responsibility of leading in worship so that they would have a job and they would have a means of uh, provision and care. And what they would do is they would go around to these different groups in the temple uh, because the temple wasn't just one big church like we have here, but really it, you could think of it kind of like Sunday school. It, it had different groups at different areas of the temple. And so Anna was likely one of these music directors that would go around to different groups and she would lead them in singing a psalm or in reciting a psalm. And so she participated daily in the temple worship and leading others in worship. She, uh, it, not only that, not only was she committed to leading in worship and directing people in, in the way that they should worship, but lastly, notice that her commitment went even beyond her calling as a prophetess and a worship leader. In verse 37, it says that she didn't depart the temple and spent her days worshiping and fasting and praying. 
Now, when it says that she didn't depart the temple, this is likely hyperbole, but in any case, it, it points to the fact that she is there at all hours of the day. That on any given day of the week, you could go to the temple to offer a sacrifice or pray to the Lord or join with worshipers or spend time in Bible study, and you would find Anna there at any time of the day, day or night. She was consistent in her devotion. And she went beyond just what her calling required. Notice it says that she fasted and prayed day and night. Now that wasn't part of her job. She did that because she was committed to the Lord. She didn't do it because she wanted food or shelter or clothing. She loved the Lord and believed every word that she proclaimed. And that brings me to my second point, which is the hope of the resolved. In verse 38, we are told that she comes to marry Joseph and Jesus at the moment that Simeon is prophesying about Jesus. And she begins to thank God and to tell everyone who is waiting on the Messiah that Jesus is here. Now here we find the hope behind Anna's resolution. She was waiting on redemption. She was waiting for the day when God would begin to set all things right in this world. She was waiting on the promised Messiah who would break down every power and authority that is set against God and would save His people. She looked at this little baby Jesus and she fully realized that hope. You see, true resolution. True repentance, true saving faith looks like long, faithful waiting. Now, teenagers, children, young adults, I want you to hear me on this. True saving faith is not a moment in time. True saving faith is not the moment that you came down this aisle. It's not the moment you went through those waters. It's not the moment that you take this communion. True saving faith is a faith that endures. A faith that perseveres. If you trust in the Lord truly, and if you believe that He has died for your sins and risen for your justification, then that will result in a heart that is resolved to follow Him. It will result in a life that is different. It will result not in a life that is committed through February, but a life that is committed for the rest of your life. True saving faith is a life of faithful waiting. We see that reality in the parables of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 25, Jesus tells this parable of ten virgins who are to wait on their bridegroom to come. And they have this lamp that they are to keep burning until their bridegroom comes and takes them to the wedding to be married. And five of them, they become lazy and they forget what they're doing and they allow their lamps to burn out. But five of them wait faithfully on the Lord, or on the groom to return and to come and to take them to the wedding feast. And that all is to symbolize and to point to this idea of enduring faith. That the lamp 
represents or symbolizes the endurance of faith that we are called to wait for the return of Christ. In Revelation chapters 2 and 3, there's these uh, warnings that Jesus gives to the seven churches of Asia Minor. And he warns each church about different failings that they have or different temptations that they're running into. And after every warning, he gives a statement that is consistent across all seven churches. He says, to the one who conquers or to the one who endures. He doesn't say to the one who walked the aisle. He doesn't say to the one who prayed the sinner's prayer. He says, to the one who faithfully endures, I will give the kingdom. You see, faithful waiting looks like endurance. It looks like waiting and watching and keeping the lamp burning for your Lord to return. The repeated reminder of that statement of Jesus is that true saving faith is one that endures, one that perseveres. So understand, a resolved life is not one that commits to personal betterment for a few months. And true saving faith is not just emotional decision at one point in your life. True saving faith is a life of commitment to the hope of the gospel. It is a life set on Jesus Placing all the chips on him and saying, no matter what else comes, I believe that Jesus is the Lord and that he will return and he will make all things new. And whatever else happens in this life, whatever else may come, pandemic or war or famine or inflation or whatever else may come, I trust that Jesus Christ is Lord and he will be faithful to what he has said. May we live as Anna fully resolved to endure in hope for the redemption of the world. And as we wait, God has not left us alone to endure without His help. He has given us, for one, His presence through His Spirit. But He's also given us simple reminders, rituals, you might say, that are meant to renew and strengthen our resolve. And so this morning we have just such a reminder set before us in the Lord's Supper. So in just a moment, I'm going to ask the deacons to come forward and help in serving that. But as we take this communion together, I invite you, if you've trusted in the Lord Jesus, it doesn't matter if you're a member of our church or, or, uh, or, or where you come from, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are welcome to this table. You're welcome to take and eat with us and participate in this communion. Uh, so let's go to the Lord in prayer, and then we'll observe communion together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the promise of your return. And Lord, we know that ultimately our hope rests in Jesus Christ and his salvation through what he has done on the cross and through his resurrection. Lord, I pray that we would be found patiently waiting like Anna, that we would be found with uh, lamps that are burning waiting for the return and the renewal of all things. Father, I pray that you would bless us now as we uh, spend time remembering your death, uh, the offering of your son and his sacrifice. And Lord, that we would be built up through this ritual of communion, that we would be reminded of what Christ has done for us. I pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen.